So this past week, I was sitting out on a patio of a nearby restaurant and, and what was wonderful fall weather, waiting for lunch guests to arrive, when I was hit by that overpowering urge to, uh, to jump on my phone. So with a few minutes to kill, I answered an email, responded to some texts, checked the latest headlines, and even moved one step closer to solving that day's Wordle. Any Wordle fans in the room? Our family does it every day. And it didn't even occur to me not to get on my phone, or that maybe just sitting and breathing and giving my mind a rest might actually be a better thing to do. The very thought of being unoccupied never entered my mind. So without asking for a show of hands, let me ask you what you might do in, in this same situation. Let's say your friend shows up for lunch and you begin the conversation and how many of you have gotten halfway through lunch, begun thinking of how many emails or texts you might have missed through the appetizers and salad, right? And here you go, not asking for a show of hands, but how many have actually excused yourself to go to the restroom so that you could check your email and text and respond. Right, don't raise your hand because I won't embarrass anybody because maybe I'm the only one who has done that. And if you've gone to lunch with me recently, I promise you it wasn't during that lunch, okay? I'm pretty sure it was with somebody else's lunch. But here's what I know. We live in a culture that is increasingly distracted and diminished in its ability to be present in this moment to pay attention to what's happening right here and right now, to exercise the skill to gently bring one's focus back to the conversation you're having at lunch, to the child who's telling you about their day, to the long distance phone call that you're having with a loved one. So I remember when I was younger, telling myself that I was a really good multitasker and that my brain was, was capable of multi-processing many different things at once. And then I read an article that talked about how our neurons actually fire in our brain and which said that while we think we might be multitasking, we really are always ever just single tasking, moving from one task to the next rather quickly, but never giving any one of them very much focused attention. And thinking about that makes me sad. Because I think there are some important things that we miss out on when we are not present to what's going on right in front of us. So here's one that I've noticed. I don't know about you, see, see if this applies to you. I have found that in a, a, a media culture of quick sound bites, that it's actually becoming more difficult to read long articles where there is a sustained argument that requires patient attention to see how the author's premises lead to that person's conclusion. Does that apply to anybody else? Or here's another one, maybe you can relate to this one. I have found that in my moment of playing tennis with Neely, my mind wanders to several things that are going on at work rather than simply enjoying the time spent with her, which is less and less as she turned 17 this month. And this past week was going to South Carolina and looking at colleges. That time is short. And I really wish that I could go back and spend more time with my dad and play Rumacube one more time 
and go through the old family carousels of slides from the early 70s with him and my mom. There was never enough time to do that because of all the, the seemingly important things we needed to get done. So what if, what if there's something about our faith that draws us back to the present? What if there's something about our shared story of life in Christ that helps us to live with more intention and purpose, but also helps us to press through and, and to filter out the distraction? What if we, as, as one writer said, what if we could gain traction over the distraction? And so in our scripture reading this morning, Jesus once again finds himself in conversation with the religious experts of his day. And in the New Testament, many of these experts are characterized by the way they zero in on the things that one might do to be identified as a person of faith. And that's not a bad thing in itself. But Jesus always wants to go deeper to the heart of the matter. Jesus always wants to see what arises out of a heart that is fully surrendered to God. So in, Jesus's, in Matthew's gospel, for instance, we have Jesus responding to the popular teaching of his day. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you have heard it said, don't kill. But I say, whoever is angry with one's brother or sister is guilty of judgment. Jesus says, You've heard it said not to break the oaths made to God, but I say, don't make an oath. Just let your character be such that your actions and your words flow out of who you are. Or this one. You've heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In fact, you might say that for Jesus... It doesn't matter what you do so much as the heart that you have behind what you do. Our heart is the heart of the matter. And lest anyone think that we can just simply do the required right things and chalk up the righteous points without the accompanying surrendered heart, Jesus tells the Pharisees in this passage this morning that there will be nothing hidden that won't one day be revealed. Nothing whispered in secret that won't one day be proclaimed from the rooftops. And another way of hearing this passage is this. You know all those things that we do to show ourselves and to show others that we're good. In the end, it's who and what we really are that will always be known. Our true character will always be revealed. I remember reading that passage a few years back with fresh eyes and gulping to myself because that can be either really frightening or really liberating. And I remember reading it on social media, it was taken off about 15 years ago and everyone was posted what someone called their highlight reels on Facebook because there's a line of thinking that goes, if I can just convince enough people that my life is good, then my life is good. And we had, we had a lot of fun with this passage in West Tennessee because in West Tennessee, everyone knows everyone's business, right? So there's no hiding or fooling anyone for long. So if someone was acting especially pretentious, there was always someone who was ready to take them down a notch, as if to say, we know who you really are and we know where you came from. But what if we come at this passage 
not from an angle of judgment, which sounds a lot like, you hypocrite, we know that you're not who you say you are, but we heard it instead from a perspective of freedom, which I believe is more in line with what Jesus was teaching his hearers. So, so maybe that perspective of freedom sounds something, um, maybe even confessional, right? Maybe, maybe something like this, and maybe this would be what I would be confident having proclaimed from the rooftops. See if, if this is something that sounds like something you would want to say. I am living my life so that you will see Jesus living in me. And I know I'm going to mess up, and I know I'm not always going to live up to it, and I know that there will be times when my actions won't measure up to what I say that I believe, but know this, in my heart, my heart is surrendered. And the God of infinite grace is continuing to perform a work of grace and renewal in me. And in my heart of hearts, I am thankful for that work. This is pretty much the posture that we see Paul um, saying as he opens his letter to Philippi in, in Philippians 1.6, and he claims boldly, he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God is doing a work in you. And if you could just take a moment of honesty before God, absolute transparent self-reflection, what would you say? that God is, is up to in you? Where are you being stretched spiritually? How is God's spirit prompting you to move into a more compassionate way of, of thinking or loving? Or better yet, here you go, think of someone who knows you really well. Remember a couple of weeks ago when Clay said, Talk to so ask someone the question, give me, give me one thing I do wrong and two things that I give right? Talk to somebody you know really well. And if you were to ask them, what would they say? How do you see God at work in my life? And what do you think God is carrying through to completion in me? And you might be surprised at the answer that you get. And I know this because this is a, Susan, this is a conversation that Susan, my wife Susan and I have pretty regularly. Those times when we can't see it and we're discouraged or we feel listless or distracted, one of us will say to the other, this is what I see God doing in you today, in your work, in your family, in how you love, in who you are. Often Susan will say when she sees me getting to that place of listless distraction and overwhelm, she'll say, just, you need to go spend some time with Jesus. And she says it like that. <laughs> My prayer is that in this community and in this church, we will live into relationships where we speak that into each other's lives. And in doing this, make room for exactly who God is gifting us to be. And to do that then as we welcome others, the seeking, the hurting, anyone who feels far from home to find their true home here in a community, in a church where we celebrate together out loud what God's work is being accomplished in us.
So what would that community look like? So I want to close by offering you just three spiritual practices that I think people would find healing and empowering. And if we lived a life that would be confident, having proclaimed from the rooftops, what would that life look like? So the first practice is this. Find your place of stillness. This is what Psalm 4610 says. The psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. So, so isn't it interesting that, that coming into an awareness of the presence of God is so closely associated with being quiet, being still, being at rest. I would, I would argue that, that many of us already know this intimately and that as our minds become wound up in a thousand different details and distractions and the agenda of the day, rather than feel more alive, we can oftentimes feel ourselves becoming more disconnected from ourselves and from God. And so as a, a consummate list maker and planner, it isn't something that I can plan myself out of. Actually, the opposite is true. Being still means just that, making room as we begin our day or as we begin our week for listening to God. So in a way, this is what we're doing this morning as we sing and pray and meditate and open up the Word of God. We, we're listening, right? And as a pastor for 30 years, I can tell you with utter confidence, God in this place, even this morning, is speaking. Jesus tells us listeners that his message is for those who have ears to hear and hear in worship. We, we practice together using the listening ears, right, that we will use to listen for God's voice tomorrow morning when we wake up and we get our first cup of coffee and we ask, God, what is the work you want to do in me today? So the second spiritual practice is what Jesus says in Matthew 6 and verse 33, but seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness and all of these things will be added to you as well. And the thing that I love about this passage is that it would almost seem that Jesus is speaking directly to us today, to our own struggle with allowing distractions to take our eyes off the main thing being the main thing. And what's fascinating is that human nature has not changed one bit in 2,000 years. Jesus says in that same passage, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? And so he says, he, he says, he says take a look around, look at the birds. God feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Can you add a single hour to your life by worrying about your life. So if that's true, then seeking first the kingdom of God becomes the key to unlocking what becomes the greatest spiritual significance in our lives. And, and what this looks like is asking the question inside of your place of stillness, what work, God, can I do today that will further the work you are doing in me. 
Now, more often than not, I found that this has something to do with how God is forming you so that your life, your love, your gifts, your mercy, your compassion will actually bless the lives of others. Paul says in, in 1 2 Corinthians 2.15 that we are the aroma of Christ. The New Living Translation says it this way, now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ like a sweet perfume. Our lives are like a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. So we're finding a place of stillness. We are seeking together after the kingdom. And here's the third and final spiritual practice I want to share with you. Live out your Christ-formed life. Live it out loud. Let's just assume for the sake of argument that God is doing a work in you and that that work has something to do with your life being the aroma, the fragrance of Christ, so that others through you could somehow experience the goodness and the grace and the love of God. Would you keep that life to yourself? So Jesus, speaking to a crowd on the Sermon on the Mount, perhaps used to going through the religious motions, right, so that they might somehow catch a God moment, tells them that, that they are to live as if they themselves are the light of God, as if they themselves are the God moment for others to experience. Let your light shine before others that they may see your goodness, your good works, and your life, and glorify the Father who is in heaven. And this Immediately after Jesus says that, he says, this is the complete and total fulfillment of everything that God has said and done up until this point. To have a people whose very lives point to the presence and healing and goodness of God. And that's us. That what God is speaking to us this morning is for those with ears to hear. What God is forming in us this week as we press in to connect the dots of life and work and family and faith and move deeper into that divine purpose for which we were created. So Bob Goff, um, one of my favorite writers, says it this way in his latest book, Un Undistracted, which is a book my Sunday school class is going to start discussing next week. He writes this. He says, the clarity of purpose, Undistracted energy, selfless love, and unselfish pursuits that you bring into the world will be your legacy. Everything else will look like distraction by comparison. Our God is at work in you this very moment. Be confident of that. And with a full measure of joy and hope, let the light of God shine through you this week. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we are so thankful for your presence here this morning. We thank you for being able to, to laugh, to gather, to sing, to pray, to be able to experience a move of your spirit as you call us to see our lives against the backdrop of a kingdom vision that celebrates creation itself and draws us into life-giving community. We thank you for your spirit that has poured out gifts onto us that we can share the, the life of Jesus that you have placed in us with others to be the hands and the feet, the body of Christ 
through which people might find healing in their brokenness. And we pray this week, God, that we would live with a boldness that our lives might be lived out loud so that others might know you intimately as you have drawn us yourself into deep relationship with you, we pray. Through Christ our Lord and all of God's people said, amen.